Welcome to the Back on Track Podcast, the podcast that will inspire, impact, and empower you, and will bring forth conversations and information that will help you finally break free from the internal shackles that are restricting you from making maximum progress in your life and business. And now, here's your host, speaker, trainer, storyteller, author, and coach, Ghazi Muhammad. We are live, my brother. We are live. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Back on Track. I'm your host, Brother Ghazi Muhammad. And today we have in our audience and studio a, a very powerful brother, um, brother with an amazing story. Um, a story that's, you know, that's quite controversial for, for many, but it's something that absolutely needs to be told. Um, I was listening to a lecture from the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan today, and he said that um, this subject is re, is a regrettable subject for him to talk about but he says it's one that must be discussed and um so based on you know what i heard the minister say and some of the things the brother shared with me um we're gonna get right into it so um brother hashim how you doing first of all brother i'm uh i'm as strong as i could be man considering, yes, the, topic, yes, considering the topic i'm as strong as i could be thank you yes sir man and, and, and you know we thank you for for, for coming on and you know, sharing your story with his brother. So let's, you know, let's get into it and um, talk a little bit about yourself and, you know, your own personal history before we delve deep into this subject matter here. So, okay, my name is Brother Hashim Hakeem. Um, I came into the nation. Uh, I got introduced to the teachings um, that I can remember through hip hop. Um, Public Enemy, uh, Rakim, Big Daddy Kane, then hip hop in the 80s and the 70s. Hip hop was a, a social platform that we own and we control that we can talk about the social ills that plagued our community and we can give it to you in the raw and then our minds were shaped um into being conscious our minds were shaped into being proud of being black and um, respect for our women and respect for ourselves and our culture that's our hip-hop evolution the evolution of hip-hop was at that time so i heard my favorite rap group at the time say, a follower of Farrakhan, don't tell me that you understand until you hear the man. A follower of Farrakhan, there you go. Don't tell me that you understand until you hear the man. Now, I didn't know who Farrakhan was, but I knew Chuck D's lyrics, word for word, Flavor Flay, Professor Grip. I knew every album, word for word. And then I heard uh, Rakim say, all praise is due to Allah, and that's a blessing. And then I heard him say, peace to the nation of Islam and Wiyawdin. Big Daddy came, peace to the nation of Islam. Now, I still didn't know what it was because I'm from the rural west suburbs of Chicago, Aurora, Illinois. And oftentimes I was the only black boy in the classroom. So uh, black consciousness was not um, a thing that I lived is what we heard in, uh, in, in hip hop. We may have seen it in the music videos with the red, black, and green. But to live it, I was raised in the church. Um, my mother went to multiple church and we ended up settling in a white church, an apostolic Pentecostal church, where the pastor was 
very, very strict on interracial relationships. He didn't let that happen, but you could go to his church and uh, Bill Cawthorpe was his name. So uh, my mother was very strict. I have six siblings. Uh, my mother was never married. Um, we had four different, six siblings. She had four different men to have her children, but she never married. And, um, and so just imagine I was four boys, uh, two girls, and uh, imagine a single woman trying to take on six. Um, and, and often we would get lost in the shuffle. I'm the middle child. I'm the second oldest of the six. And um, yeah, from Aurora, Illinois, rural suburb of Chicago, man. So that's 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 pretty much um, my background. So it was a brother going door to door in the black community with the Final Call newspaper. And at the age of 18, somewhere between the age of 18 and 19, um, he came to my door. My mother wasn't there. And he asked me how I was doing. Um, real kind demeanor, real poised kind demeanor and a student of bow tie. Unusual for me um, that someone would come to the door not trying to sell something. But he um, got into a small dialogue and he mentioned public enemy. And he asked me, have I heard of Farrakhan? Actually, he asked me, have I heard of Farrakhan? And then I said, the Farrakhan that public enemy mentioned? He said, yes. He said, that's his minister. I said, what? So now I'm intrigued now because public enemy was my group. And mm -hmm. now this man, no public enemy. Now I'm intrigued. He said, yes. And uh, all the rappers speak highly of the nation of Islam. They go another key word, nation of Islam, Farrakhan. So now the man, he got whatever he want from me because he he he, he using key words that, that relate directly to me because of the music that I listen to. And then eventually he asked me would I like to go to the mosque and not knowing what the mosque was, all I know was Farrakhan and Public Enemy. And he said, yes. And I said, yes. So I went to the mosque in 1989 and the brother who was the national representative of the time, uh, his brother Abdul Wali, the, uh, the, the, the editor in chief at that time of the Final Call newspaper. And this man messed around and said, you are hand if you are here, you're not here by coincidence. You are hand selected by God Almighty Himself. So you're not here by coincidence. And we want you to sit back and enjoy the lecture. And when I did that, the minister came on and uh, I'm looking to the to the right and women all on the right. I'm like, then why are they over there? And it's us over here, all the men on this side, and why why are we separated like that? But then when the minister spoke, I, it, it was over with. So I never seen strength the way that I saw because I'm from the, the rural suburbs of Chicago. Again, the only white boy in the class most of the time, the projects. And on the other side of the railroad tracks from where we live were the prominent figures and the rich white folks and the teachers. But we lived in the low income projects mm -hmm. and we didn't know um, black power the way I saw it in the nation of Islam. We didn't know black strength the way, we saw, way I saw it in the nation of Islam. And right. instantly, without knowing um, what I was saying, when they got through those three questions at the end, how many agree what you heard today is good, for, true? How many of us agree it's good for our people? You agree it's good for our people. And how many would like to join on and help the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan and learn more about the teachings of the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad? And before you know it, I'm signing the pledge card 
talking about I'm a Muslim. Right. When I got home, my family wasn't having it. My mama wasn't having it. And um, <laughs> it was it was hell for me at that yeah. time in my house because all I know is the light came on in my mind and I know that's where, where, I, where I was supposed to be. So it ended up being an upheaval and ended up getting rough for me. And my mother ended up kicking me out the house, man. Okay, so let me see. I don't know if if um you all can hear us very well. Um, can y'all just just say something in the comment? Because it's one brother say he having problems hearing. Um, but but if you all can hear us pretty pretty well, just just make a comment so we can hear you. You know, we hear you loud and clear. Um, so you know, um, um, brother Hashim, you know, I want to talk about you know um you know this subject here, um, a very controversial subject. Oh, okay, someone said that the audio is fine and said so we can hear him. Okay, hearing is good. Okay, uh, maybe that's on uh, your phone, uh, um, Brother Rafiq. But um, so this is a very controversial subject. And, um, you know, uh, a lot of us, you know, the, the topic here today is child molestation. And um, according to statistics, is one in, I think, five girls are victims of child molestation and about, um, one in 20 boys now of course those statistics are skewed because many people don't speak about it but i know everybody listening to this call and, and live or on the replay you know somebody if not yourself have been touched or fondled or something like that when you were little or your children or something like that right it's something that's often silenced within our community it's a taboo subject it f's up all of our homes but it's something that we don't want to talk about could we embarrass to talk about it and uh, uh, you know whatever so you know let's get right into that brother you know your experience with that because i really want to get into that and, and i want to hear from the people um i want them to respond to you know what you're going to share with us right now so you know, let's get into it brother so you said it correctly 59 percent. so 93 percent of all cases that have been reported to authorities um i gotta say this 93 percent of all of these cases that have been reported to authorities um, revealed that 59% of the cases were um, from an acquaintance. It was an acquaintance that molested the child. 34% was a family member that molested the child. And then 7% was a stranger. Hmm. So out of the 93 cases that have been revealed to law enforcement, 59% of the cases of child molestation child abuse um, happens from an acquaintance, 34% from a family member and 7% from a stranger. In my case, it happened to me from a family. Um, <laughs> and as I'm thinking, I just have to be careful um, because I love the family members to this day. Um, they did what they did. They didn't go to prison for it. Because, like you said, it's a taboo subject, and it's 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 hushed, and and not discussed. And as I go into the dialogue of what happened, um, I'm glad my stepmother at the time um, did what she did. So, if you will, um, so as I told you, I was uh, I, I got introduced to the Nation of Islam at 89 years old. But let's go back to when I was six years old. So um, it was a particular, 
I'm just trying to be careful to protect the identity of my family. So during the holiday, and it was this holiday that we're in right now, um, all of our family would congregate at a particular um, family member's house because they had the biggest house. And all the aunts and uncles, a great portion of our generation, would go to this particular house and have a good time, eat, see all of our cousins. I mean, a really good time. But on this particular day, um, my female cousin, older cousin, asked me, did I want to play a game? And what six-year-old boy don't want to play? You know what I mean? So they took me upstairs. It was two female cousins. They took me upstairs. And the next thing you know, and this cousin that I love now, it's not stranger. So there's a little comfortability and affinity and a little trust when it's family, especially at six years old. So they took me upstairs. I remember my pants coming off. And I remember them getting on top of me in the bed. Um, I think my underwear were on and I, and, and, and was no penetration, but, but there was some grinding and I know there was stimulation down there. I know there was an intense feeling down there. Um, the, the one cousin got off of me, the other cousin got on top of me and there was, there was some intense feelings through her. It kept going. So this intense feeling was not a painful feeling. It was a pleasurable feeling. So now imagine this, a six-year-old boy having this pleasurable feeling from his female cousins. And I often think, what if it was the male cousin? I often think I could have been gay because the feeling was pleasurable. I often think like that. So I remember her saying, do not tell anyone um, are you okay? I told her I was okay. Um, and she took me, we went back downstairs. And I don't know the chronological order and how it happened, but I remember saying her name in a whining way saying, can we play again? Can we play again? And um, I started crying. And I remember my auntie saying, girl, get that boy what he wants not knowing that what I want was the pleasure of hell. So she took me into the bathroom and said, listen, 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 you can't, don't, don't do that. Don't cry. We're going to play again, but you got to stop crying. So it never happened again. We didn't go back and play and she never did it again. But now this six year old boy no longer wants to play with Tonka trucks and race cars. Now he's trying to figure out what's this intense feeling in his underwear. So I take this home to my siblings, six years old. Remember, I'm the second oldest. And now we fondling. Thank a lot that we never did any penetration, but now we fondling and playing games like house. And when my mother would have her friends over to the house playing house, no, when my mother would have her friends over to the house smoking and drinking and playing spades, her friends would have their children and we would all be upstairs playing house. And I was always the father. And, and, and some other girl would be the mother. And one particular day, um, it got quiet up there, upstairs. And I heard my mom say, it's too quiet up there. 
y'all come on downstairs. But me and this one girl didn't go downstairs. Everybody went downstairs, and me and her went into the closet. Now, I don't know what she knew, but I knew she knew what to do because her pants was down to the ankles, and my pants was down to the ankles. And how old were you right now? I, I don't think I'm six. I think I'm seven. Okay. I think I'm seven. I, I knew I was young because when we got caught, my brother came into the closet and caught us in the closet. And he was able to hold her in one hand from the wrist and hold me in the other hand from the wrist and bring us downstairs in front of everybody and say, look. So I, I, I don't know the exact age, but it wasn't directly from the, um, the uh, what that person saying? They talking to me? Uh, yes, uh, yeah, they just making comments. Yeah, so she said, right now, a six-year-old experiences pleasure at a young age, and the pleasure system of the brain wants to continue to endure. Exactly, exactly. So that's what happened. So, and it kept going. So um, I, I went to the, uh, my mom said, told my older brother to whoop me. And the other lady said, whoop mine too. And the man who was the father of that girl said, no, nah, I whoop my own child. And next thing you know, it's an argument. Um, the spades and the drinking was over with. I did get a whooping, but now for the rest of my life until I went to prison, I'm trying to figure out what this intense feeling is in my pants. So, of course, I went to fondling my sisters and, you know, when we would play hide, go seek in the neighborhood with the community, it'll be hide, go get it. Um, needless to say, I was a virgin up until 19. And this is where um, but I was also a popular person in Aurora, Illinois. So not only am I a virgin, I'm a popular person. And I noticed that a lot of people my age was active, unless they fake like they was active. And I would be embarrassed when they asked me, are you a virgin? And I had to play like, no, 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 I'm not no virgin. I know what it's like, but I'm a virgin. But because I was so popular as a rapper, I just, I just act like I wasn't a virgin because that was, they made fun of virgins in, in my mm -hmm. neighborhood. They made fun of virgins. You ain't never, you ain't never. And uh, so I would often get up out of them situations by rapping about them, talking about them, playing the dozens, I get out the situation. So as we begin to, as I begin to develop, um, there was a young girl, my mom moved out of those projects um we i began to develop we moved to another low-income apartment and i fell in love with this young girl man now i think i'm 19 but i'm still a virgin i gotta be 19 because that's when i went to prison um i fell in love with this girl who is the mother of my oldest child and i fell in love with her man and uh so i thought i fell in love because we would talk every day. She was cool. Come to find out, this sister was way more advanced. So my mom would ask me, why, why you keep hanging around with that girl? Why you keep hanging around with that girl? I'm like, I like her. Like, do you know anything about her? I'm like, no. So one day I asked her how old she was. And she told me she was 14 years old. And I was 19. So I ended up telling my mom, she said, no. Nah. That ain't gonna happen. 
it's, it's, it's too late, mom, because I like her. So we were at the sneak and talk. We sneak and be friends. And one day she lived next door. No, she lived in a, there was an apartment building between us. And then on the other side was her apartment. And one day I snuck over there, took the ladder from my bunk bed, hooked it to a window, climbed into a room, and we were intimate. And she asked me, did you put it in me? Now, I'm a virgin now, up until that point, and I don't know what she's talking about. I said, did I put it in you? You don't feel me? She's like, no, did you put it in me? I'm in you right now. She said, get up. She said, you put it in me. She was talking about releasing inside of her. She said, oh, my God. See, that was my first time. I don't know nothing about that, but I do know that feeling was the same feeling that I had when I got molested. It was the same intense feeling when we would play house. And now this is the extent of this feeling. And, and hold on, before you go on, because I want to say something that I heard the minister say, because I know we're going to go into another very touchy area right there. Um, the minister said about this, that the Amendment Less Far Con say that we live in a society that constantly feed us sex. It's everywhere. Sexual, stimula sexual stimulation is everywhere, right? And so we fed to be pleasurable, but at the same time where we fed pleasure, we're not fed at the same time to be responsible. Because he said with that pleasure comes a level of responsibility. Come on, now. Come all on pleasure, now. Babies come up out of that. So a lot of people, we pleasure, 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 pleasure. But nobody teaching us how to be responsible. And we've been fed pleasure, not just through TV, radio, and advertising, but even scientifically through the foods that we eat now is stimulating the sex hormones. You know, certain foods we eat now stimulating the sex hormones. So we've been fed pleasure, but our children are not being taught responsibility. And I think many people in the, in the comments were saying that sex is a taboo subject. You know, I thank a lot for my mother. You know, she transitioned, but my mother was straight raw and to the point. When I asked her a question, my mother didn't have nothing. She came straight with it, just raw, straight to the point. She let us know what it is and sex, this, sperm. Man, she, she, she laid it out for us. But too many of us, I've seen too many parents. And I've, I've witnessed this when I was counseling some of these young, some of these young, young boys where, and, 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 and young girl, where the girl would ask her mama, I've seen where a girl asked her mama, how do sex feel? Right now, this girl 15 years old asking her mama, How do sex feel? And the mama say, Damn it, what you thinking about sex for? Your ass should be thinking about school. You should be, let me get that out your damn mind. Isn't that rather than, I mean, now, nah, nah, they tell me to talk to him, right? I say, Well, you don't want to ask me because you ask me how sex feel. I'm gonna say, Sex feel good as hell. Hell, sex is the bomb.com. Ain't nothing wrong with it. However, it's something with that, with that sex, with that good feeling. Gonna come a hell of a responsibility. You could get pregnant. You could get a disease. You could damage your life. You could. I mean, all kind of things can happen. But we got to be one hundred. Sex itself. All of us here because of sex. Damn it, we we here, and sex is pleasurable. But we got to also, as parents, teach the corresponding level of responsibility that comes along with that intense feeling that you're talking about. That nobody really explained it to you. You didn't really understand what it was. But you know damn well it felt good. So for the so parents, my mind, I like I like what you just said. Now I got to go back because you just reminded me of something. When my brother caught me and that girl in the closet, it reminded me of a lecture that the minister said. That uh, how do we know to go into the closet and hide though? Mm -hmm. How do we how do we know to go into the closet and hide? 
So that relates to another lecture, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan said, when we were born, our brains were created to think right. Right. Our brains was created to think right. And to know that we're going in the closet, it's an instinctual thing to know that that's a private moment. It's an intimate moment. It's supposed to be secluded. It's not supposed to be done in the open where everybody's supposed to see. But the point is, what you're doing at that age, knowing about that or experimenting with that. So I thank you for that segue. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you take back over, but that's true. How, how do we know to go into the closet? And I didn't learn nothing from my mom when it relates to sex. My dad wasn't in the household. So right. I would get bits and pieces here, you know, I, I hear there, you know, people talk about it there, you know, certain things that you would hear, you know, you ain't never had this and that, but I never was taught. Right. And so I, I remember in high school, there was the sex education class in high school now. And it's so awkward for me. People in the classroom, I'm laughing. It's out of embarrassment. We snickling and certain things they talking about, but I shouldn't learn in no high school was sexy. I should have been known, but my mama always gone having multiple babysitters. She working two or three jobs trying to take care of us. So we figuring stuff out on our own. Right. So. That's true, what you just said, brother. I'm sorry to take over. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, sir, brother. I absolutely love it because I want to not go into this next phase of your life. And um, because we're going to talk about how the victim can sometimes become the victimizer, how hurt people can hurt people, right? And then that, that, that's just some reality. But, 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 but I'm going to say before that I remember the first time, it's been a few years ago, I was at a conference. I think it was in Charlotte, North Carolina, at a speaker's conference. And I heard a brother telling his story and how he was molested by an older woman, right? Now, I, now, here go a transparent moment for you, right? I come up in an environment in St. Louis that was hypersexual. Here, wasn't nobody like celibate. Everybody was promiscuous in my neighborhood. Sex was like the thing to do. Everybody had sex, right? So if, if you was a young man and you engaged in sexual activity with an older woman, that was damn near bragging rights in the hood I come from. That was like, yeah. boy, you the man, boy, you the bomb, boy, you, you got that old head, and you, you know, and don't let her be hooked on you. That's like break now. If it's flipped around and it's a woman who with a man, then a woman she considered a hoe, she a slut, she this, you know, and, and all that. But to the brother, you know, we so crazy and so unbalanced, it was like bragging rights, right? So the brother at this conference talked about he was molested by a woman that was older, he was 14, 15, and she was like in her 20s. and my mind, so you know, I'm like, damn, where I come from, that's yeah, I mean, hell, you'll be the man. But when he starts talking about his reality, see, I come from an environment where sex was here common, right? Everybody, everybody did that, you know. I, I mean, I come, I, I seen the most, I seen crazy stuff as a, as a young boy, right? And but this young brother here, he was um very sheltered, he didn't come up in the hood, he didn't come up around sex, he was very innocent. And when I put myself in his shoes, I started seeing like, damn, from that angle right there, I can see how that can traumatize you. But in my shoes where everybody did sex, that was like a thing to do. It didn't, it, it wouldn't traumatize me in truth. It wouldn't traumatize, even they was older than me because everybody talked about it. Everybody encouraged it. Like you say, it was, a, if you a virgin, you, you damn that outcast. What you mean you a virgin? What, what, you ain't getting out? I'm talking about this and, in middle school, hell, sometimes elementary school, but I know with me, it, it's in middle school that that was a culture, the prevailing culture in, in St. Louis, in the neighborhood I come up in, right? So let's get off into this. Now, you've been victimized. 
Yeah, I gotta say, I gotta say this before you go there. You just okay. said something, and it's true. Now, remember when I said I was six? I'm no longer the child that's thinking about Tonka Tonka cars and, and race cars and Tonka trucks. Mm -hmm. I'm no longer that little boy. So now imagine between six and seven what I done learned. Six and seventeen what I done learned. Right. So at 17 years old, I remember being in the swimming pool and, and uh in our neighborhood the neighborhood swimming pool and the boys that I ran with at 17 years old, we knew something. We was virgins. We was hot boys. We was popping. We was attractive and we was real explorative. And one time we did, they dared me to go to the deep end and pop the panty of a woman. Stay underwater. She can't see you and, and swim back to the, to the shallow end. So I did it. I swam underwater, popped the, the panty line of a lady, just just an Asian lady, and swam back to the shallow end and mixed in with the rest of the teenagers and thought I didn't see. Thought she didn't see. She kept her eye on me and watched me. And this lady, man, this lady was what you just said, one of them cougars that was like, yeah, yeah, come on. And uh, it was one of them situations where her husband found out and uh came to my mama house and knocked on the door and said uh uh she said that you were intimate with her i said no i wasn't, I wasn't intimate no i wasn't he said well she's often she's been uh very he used some kind of word promiscuous and uh, i'm gonna send her back to vietnam because you're not the only man in this neighborhood that has been intimate with her. I said, dang. And there's all kind of people outside of my mama door. My mama wasn't there. And when that man, I just denied it. When that man left, I came outside and all the big homies in the hood was like, what, you? Then them bragging rights came. And I'm like, dang, I'm embarrassed and scared. And my mama find out y'all clapping and cheering me on. So that's, I just want, that, that, that reminded me of that when you said that. So yeah, yeah. it's it's awkward that it's like there let it been a woman in that situation with a young boy, she'd have been a whole whole the century. Right, real talk. Yes, sir. Okay so, okay, so let's go off into this man, you know, this next topic that's is equally controversial and, and and explosive. When hurt people hurt people, you know, let's you let's talk about you know some things that what happened to you, you know, what it led to, and, and you know, your curiosity and your ignorance on, on, on some parts and that intense feeling and that pleasure zone minus the responsibility. You know, let's talk about that. So I was talking to my queen today, man, and um, she asked me, do I regret that? And, you know, oftentimes somebody can say no regrets, but I regret what I'm about to discuss because why, why, why it had to be me? But I understand why now, and I got to talk about it, and I'm born for this subject. I'm born for this topic, and I'm born to help others who have been in the situation and may be going through it as we speak. So I remember um, coming home from the Nation of Islam telling my mother I was a Muslim, and she said, not in my house. And strict Christian, strict Christian background, no, you're not. She was very, very hardcore, and she had to be because she didn't want us feminine. 
nor did she want us, um, you know, to, 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 to be wild children, like just bad children. So we were sheltered in one sense, but sheltered and, but sheltered in another sense in a way to where we weren't educated about certain things. So, um, I told her I want to be a Muslim and I'll be Asinalaikum. I wouldn't eat the pork. I wouldn't, you know, it became rough, man. And she eventually kicked me out the house. And I end up going to live in the West suburbs, uh, pretty, I think it's south of, uh, no, 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 no. I think it's north, north of Aurora, a suburb called Batavia. And I went to live with my half brother. We have the same father, different mothers. So my mother, and his mother both was with my dad. And so this brother, man, I fell in love with my brother, man. This dude was, and I got a brother. He looked like me. He was swole like me. He could rap. He was very, very athletic. And man, man, we just, we became the talk of the town. Now, Aurora, Illinois, Batavia, all them suburbs are predominantly white. But my brother wasn't overt. I just had um sex with the, the mother of my child she got she's pregnant at the time and so i'm kicked out the house and i got a girl pregnant that i can't see her mama mad my mama mad and i live in another city now and my brother man this man was so advanced at our young ages man this man was having sex with his high school teachers girls loved him and we would go on these trips and I'm like, man, what is you doing? He's like, man, come on. Man, he'd be running trains on girls and the girls would be telling me, come on. And I'd be like, hell no. Matter of fact, I, I leave and I go sit in the car because it's like a shock. So now, eventually I give in one day to my brother. And he said to me, hey man, these girls, man, they asking about you, man. You got to pick somebody, man. And I broke down and told him, man, listen, dude, I don't know what to do, man. That's that's what the problem is. I don't know what to do. I don't know about the oral sex thing. I don't know. I don't know about none of that like that. I just got a girl pregnant. That's it. Did it one time. He said, what? You? And surprise, you? You? you, you one time. And that's when the hell begins, man. So he gave me porn. Watch these magazines. Watch these videos. And I became that, brother. The porn became me. Now I'm correlating the child, the intense feeling with the child molestation, the intense feeling when we used to play house, the intense feeling with the mother of my child. And this intense feeling is back watching porn. And um, day in and day out, I'm learning because next week I got a date that I got to go on <laughs> and I got to be ready. And I was overwhelmed trying to crash course, learn all this stuff. And I'm like embarrassed. So, of course, I'm sneaking and watching. And one day I was watching porn and... I was masturbating, watching, and my nephew came downstairs, snuck downstairs, and it was dark. 
it was dark. I didn't see him, but he was watching. And then he said, Hi C, what are you doing? That was my rap name back then, Hi C, like the, the drink. Um, high intelligence in communication. And I freaked out. What? I, I don't think I cussed really back then, but I freaked out. And I'm like, man, go back upstairs. And he just stood there. Go back upstairs. But in the middle of my high, because it's a high, brother. And I learned that an addiction is an addiction. An addiction is an addiction. And I learned that when you're under the influence, I don't care if it's sex, I don't care if it's smoking, drinking, you're not yourself. So I told him to do to me what he sees on the TV. And somebody was performing oral sex. He's four years old. So as I stood up, I snapped out of it like, what the fuck is you doing? I said, go upstairs. And I shouldn't have told him that. I should have got his mind right first. But I said, go upstairs. And he went upstairs, man. And um, I don't think I told him not to tell nobody. But wasn't nobody really up there. Because I, I don't know. But I ended up going to work hours later. And on my way to work, I'm cussing myself out. What the What's wrong with you? I'm yelling. I'm screaming. I'm mad. I don't know what suicidal is, but I can imagine that's how I was. Like, what is wrong with you, man? You got to get help, dude. Your nephew? So I went to work, and I tried to block it out. And I'm working, and I'm working, and I'm working. And then a, a white man comes to my job and says, you want, my manager says, somebody wants to speak to you. And I went, and it was a police. And he asked me to come to the police station um, a little later. He asked me to come to the police station. And um, I don't know what he wanted me to come to the police station because don't nobody know. I, so I think. Don't nobody know. So I go home, and I go to my, my, my stepmom. And I said, the police came to my job and want to see me. Do you know what they want? And she said, why didn't you rape me? Hmm. Man, I could have fainted. First of all, I ain't into child molestation. I ain't into rape. And I, and, I, and I asked her, what are you talking about? And she said it again. Why didn't you rape me? I said, rape? I'm not raping nobody. She said, then why you... Why you find your nephew? Why you tell him to? I don't. I don't know if she could articulate. I don't know the details of it, but he told her that I told her to do something, and uh, she said this been going on a long time in my family. This been going on a long time in your father, even your father. Let's go way back to Mississippi, and. Uh, we're not going to sweep this one under the rug. She loved me, Brother Ghazi. This sister loved me, this stepmother of mine. She was impressed with me. She was impressed. Even though I claim Muslim, she did not deny it. She did not. She just, she wanted her son to be like me. Because I knew how to iron my clothes. I was real responsible. I was very articulate. Um, and I was talking black consciousness. 
But when that little intense feeling pop up, man, I wasn't myself. So she said, um, I told the police. And that's why you got to go to the police station. So I walk out the house, man. And if you can imagine the Sam Cooke song playing, <laughs> it's been a long time coming. Um, I'm trying to get my lie together and how I'm going to deny this because all I remember was the power that I felt when I went to hear the minister speak. All I remember was the newfound me that I had when I went to hear the minister speak. So I went to the police station and denied it. Then they brought me back another time and another time. And he said, listen, we don't have no, 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 no entrance. There's no semen. There's no something. He said, so we're going to have to do the lie detector test. So the next time you come back, we're going to do the lie detector test. I passed that. I went back to the mosque, man. And I felt empowered again. And I would have these good, good, good visions of me becoming a Muslim, me being these brothers with the suits and bow tie, me being them strong brothers on stage. But then this thought came up, what I, what I did with my nephew, man. So that Sunday after the mosque meeting, the very next Monday, I went back to the police station and I told that police that I did it. Look what the police tell me. He said, listen, get out of here. You don't want this on your record. I said, I did it, man. I can't live like this, man. I need help. I need to get this stuff off of me, man. I can't live like this. He said, son, listen to me. You don't want this on your record. I said, I need help, man. He said, go get help somewhere else. You don't want this on your record. I said, if you don't take me into custody, however I'm saying it right now, I, I don't think I was disarticulate. I think I was emotional. But I said, I'm going to tell your boss on you. And I, I, don't, I, I never seen a white person this sympathetic like this. I think he had a tear in his eye. And he pulled out from his drawer a pad and a pencil and told me to write what I did on it. I made, I wrote something on there. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I made it worse than what I did. I needed them. I needed help, brother guys. And I didn't know to tell when my mom kicked me out, I could have told her. Um, my stepmother turned me in and I, and I, and I, and I could have walked away and not told nobody, but I wrote down my testimony. I went to jail. I, they just took me to a cell. The very next day, I'm in front of a judge, and this judge was just as sad as the police officer. And this judge is looking at me like, I wish you the best. This sentence for this crime carries six to 30 years, and we're going to give you the least uh, amount of uh, the least sentence. And uh, I wish you the best, young man. And I went to prison, bro. Okay, now, <clears throat> so 
Man, that's powerful, brother. And, and, and you know, it takes a lot of, I'm reading a lot of comments and people know it takes a lot of damn courage to say things about our own self and our own past to, to confront. I heard Chester Naomi talk about confronting them demons, pulling them demons out that we all have. All of us got them on this damn call. All of us got them. And, um, you know, we keep them so silent and they affects us and they come out in different areas of our life. And we think we didn't deal with them because we don't talk about it. You know, we think they gone because we don't talk about it because they're not on our conscious mind. But look, this stuff still affects us. Right. So, man, you know, I, I know um, in prison because I've been to prison and the culture in prison is so backwards that um, if people come in prison for child molestation or rape or something like that, you have no goddamn respect, like none. You can, you, I mean, you can kill 10,000 people. You can be, I mean, you can do all kinds of stuff. And, and you come up and now, you damn like an OG if you're just a, a regular murderer or something like that. But you come in for something like that. I've seen brothers get shanked up. I've seen brothers get dealt with coming into that atmosphere for that kind of crime. So let's talk about how did you deal with that when you went to prison? Because it's something that's looked down upon from criminals. Now, when they, oh, everybody not criminals. Everybody not seen. We, we all messed up. Well, I mean, we straight out there in penitentiary, right? But but yet, we think that that scene is worse and, and, than all the other sins. That scene right there is, is really looked upon by the traditional convicts in a real horrible light. So what was your prison experience like? So I heard the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan say that that's the worst crime you could put on a man. And uh, it is. Because even though it happened in 89, I got convicted of February in 1990. 30 years later, in people, some people's mind who don't know how forgiveness works, who don't know how healing works, in some people's mind, it looked like once, once, like my brother told me one time, once a thief, always a thief. He don't know telling me that is what stopped me from stealing as a young man. But we underestimate the power of God. We really do. And unfortunately, as the minister says, the judicial system has failed us. The educational system has failed us. The political system has failed us. And anytime you're going to run a country or a society and do not know how to deal with certain issues, you shouldn't be in leadership. I heard the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan say that for every crime or every problem, he said, every problem we can face as a people, Allah will raise up one from amongst us with the solution. Mm, praise be Allah. Powerful. I believe that's why I'm here, bro. Hmm. Let's get into this prison experience. As a young man in Aurora, Illinois, man, I, as, as I told y'all, I could rap. But after being bullied for so long, um, I, I went to learn to be a boxer. <laughs> I learned to be a boxer. And um, very, very, very crucial. Very, very powerful boxing but prison stopped my rap career and right before i went to prison 
there was a rap magazine out back in the day called Word Up, Word Up Rap Masters. And I was in the competition with uh, Mona Lisa before she got big. I was in the competition with Slick Rick before he got big. LL Cool J was on the cover, and I beat all of them. They gave me a full page in Word Up Rap Masters magazine, 89. And uh, they put my whole song in there called, uh, man, I don't forgot the song, but it, it, it slips my mind right now. But uh, I had a full-page ad in there, man. I had on some Jordans and a starter jacket back when the starters was popping, a bull starter jacket. And um, I'm from the rural suburbs of Chicago, Aurora, Illinois, the same city Carl Thomas is from. Carl Thomas a bad boy. And we used to do shows together, man, trying to get on. He got on and I went to prison and lost a lot of momentum, a lot of potential in my hip hop career I lost. But a lot came and gave it back to me, but let's go to prison. So I went to prison and first I went to the city Batavia is where I did the crime. But they charged me in Aurora, Illinois. Some kind of way I ended up in Kane County, where I'm from. And I grew up with vice lords. Vice lords protected me. Vice lords gave me my manhood. Vice lords gave me, you know, some, some they kind of looked after the little boys in the neighborhood. So when I went to the county jail, they locked me up with the gangsters who was in direct opposition to the vice lord. But the gangsters loved me because I was a popular rapper in the neighborhood, in the whole city. I was the first rapper in Aurora, Illinois. So they didn't bother me. The gangsters protected me too. And so I remember my homie, Tracy Taylor screaming through the window, Ryan, you good? Ryan was my name before it got legally changed when I became a Muslim in prison. Ryan, you good? And the gangsters would say, hell yeah, he good. We got him. He ain't none of y'all. And they, they looked out after me too. So in the county jail is where I knew prison was going to be rough for me because of what happened in the county. And I'm going to sum up the county with, I'm a 19-year-old boy, but I'm in there with real killers. And they ain't put me in no protective custody with the gays. or They put me in there with them boys. But I, I wasn't, no, I'm not in the child molestation. I'm not gay, so... All these was people that I came up with and that I knew. And so one time, they called me a neutron. Uh, a neutron is somebody who's not associated with a gang. They called me a neutron, meaning I'm neutral. No respect for them unless you know how to carry yourself. I didn't know nothing about jail or prison. So one time they was giving out the trays and the food, and I went to get my tray. And I came back, and uh, uh, BD took my seat. Black black disciple. And I said, can I get my seat back? He said, you ain't got no seat. Now, all I know is, listen, 
Man, listen, I just I, I just never was a punk before the nation. The nation just made me totally fearless. But I'm 19 and this man is 28 years old. And I said, can I have my seat back? He said, you ain't got no seat. And then he said, if you want it, take it. Mm-hmm. Man, I set my tray down and I started to think. They say all is one, meaning they all fight you, one fight you. And I said to them, listen, man, I'm not, I'm not finna fight all of y'all. And they said, no, you're not in no game. It's gonna be one-on-one. What they tell me that for, man? A lot got in my hands, and I don't want to boast or brag, but I, I got so much respect that they thought about initiating me into the game. So much respect. And the brother lost his respect that he got whooped by a 19-year-old boy, but a lot got in my hands. I'll say this while I'm on that note, because it's going to, I'm going to talk about a lot of prison experiences. If you're in the right, a law will guide your hands to whoop somebody who you probably normally couldn't beat up. If you're in the wrong, somebody least powerful than you, least stronger than you, will be able to conquer you. But I was in the right, and a law guided my hands, and the story was history. And it, the only reason they didn't initiate me to the gangster disciples, the only reason they didn't initiate me into the gangster disciples, they came back and told me, listen, we mad on it, man. We thought about it, but you're not a fighter, man. I mean, you're not a gangster, man. You're not a killer, man. You're not that dude. We love your mom. We love your brothers and sisters. We love you, man. We surprise you even in jail, man. This ain't your life, man. And we don't want you in this game. And you may be joining the game because you're going to need protection in prison. But let me tell you something. Ain't nobody stronger than your people. The Muslims. And when I got to prison, that man ain't never lying. The Muslims are the most respected and the most feared in every prison across the country. And when I went to prison, my boxing career kept going. The first prison I went to was the annex of Stateville in Joliet, Illinois. Then they sent me to Mount Sterling in Western. And that's, um, man. When I first came on the deck, man, they said, uh, I later found out that they thought I was gay because I was so clean cut. <laughs> that brother told me, hey man, when you first came, we thought you was gay, man. We didn't know where to, where to, where to put you. you. You was by yourself. You didn't talk to nobody. We thought you was gay until they found out I was on the boxing team. And then I was still immature because I'm 19 years old now. Um, still sheltered. All I know is a brother said, you a Muslim? Assalamu alaikum. I knew to say wa alaikum salam. And he said, you must be with Farrakhan because you didn't say wa alaikum salam. I ain't know it was a difference at the time. I ain't know. I ain't know it was a difference. And the brother said, hey man, listen, you you know you're a Fatiha? I ain't know what he was talking about. He said, you sure you're a Muslim? He said, oh, you with the nation. The nation don't, they don't teach y'all real Islam. So we're gonna we're gonna give it to you. And man, I learned Arabic. I learned how to do salat. 
I wasn't in the nation long enough to know real Islam, but they did teach it. But I just wasn't, I didn't, I didn't join. I, I went to prison. I didn't get registered until 94, but all I knew was Farrakhan. So I didn't understand why I didn't like the Muslims, but I know why they didn't like the nation. But they said there was Muslim. In my head, I put the two the same. They knew who Elijah Muhammad was. And so I learned Arabic. Um, I learned how to do my salat. I learned how to do the call to prayer. I was at Muslim service. I was at every Muslim reading, every Quran reading. And people just knew not to mess with me because I didn't know I was being protected by Allah. I didn't know that what the brother was telling me was the truth, that the, the Muslims, is you don't, you, you don't play with them because they don't really fear nothing but Allah. And those young, them, them older, man, it was some real, real killers, man. People in there for life teaching me, listen, man, we fear nothing but Allah. Nothing but God. And Muslims ain't in jail because of a crime they did. Muslims are in jail because Allah trying to get your attention. He told me that. I knew I was in the right place. So mm -hmm. I just kept boxing. And one day I was shadow boxing, brother, in the, in the deck. And the leader of the triple L's in that game was a friend of brother Malik was the older Muslim who was a habitual felon who took me under his wing and they was friends because Muslims, they cool with everybody. And so the brother told me, um, Hey man, you shadow boxing, man. You be boxing, man. Let's go back into the shower room. Let me see what you really got. Again, Allah guides your hands, but this time Allah taught me another lesson. So I went in there and I slapped this brother up. Then it went back to the deck. And me being immature, I called out to the triple L's under his authority. I said, man, I just whooped y'all leader. I should be y'all gang chief. And he said, don't do me like that, bro. Don't do me like that, man. Don't do me like that. Give me another chance. And we went back in there. He was throwing punches. And the next thing you know, I'm in a chokehold about to pass out. And the vice lord of the opposing gang said, get off that young brother. Get off that young brother. And I got my breath back, stood to my feet, and called to the deck, Malik, Malik. And he came with shanks in his waist and said, what happened? I said, we were slap boxing. And then he said, what? I said, we were slap boxing. He said, what? Slap boxing. He said, that's what you get. Muslims don't play. Let's go. That was a lesson, man, a very valuable lesson for me that I needed for my prison career. Right. And, you know, let me say something on, on that about the um, experience I had, because I went to prison at, at, at a very young age from high school. And when I went to prison back in the 80s, you can count on one hand the number of young brothers that was in supermax and maximum security prisons that was under 21 years old most of the teenagers went to like a little juvenile prison or something like that right but they had me in max and supermax with cats with life without parole i mean and the atmosphere and the energy is a lot different depending on what kind of prison you in you go from minimum how old, how old was you in supermax 17. damn yeah so i was 17 years old i was in supermax and um because i was very radical so i came into prison as a young FOI, I, I registered in the nation at 16 in 1988. I wound up going to prison a couple of months later because I was kind of buck wild out there, right? 
And um, but but I went to prison with already some kind of consciousness. So I was blessed to be in the in the leadership role when I was in prison. I, I was very articulate, very militant, um, very outspoken. So it gave me some degree of respect when I was in there. So the administration kept shipping me around from prison to prison. So from 16 to 24, I spent 48 months in solitary confinement um, during that whole period of time in six different penitentiaries. Some of them, some of them they, I had, they put me through twice. Now, I remember a time when a young brother, I had I was there maybe about three, four years. And so I was kind of like an OG at this time, even though I'm still 20, even though I'm still 21 years old, right? So, and the um, a friend of mine came into prison and um, I knew him from the streets and he was connected with, it, it's a group of guys in there that we call booty bandits, right? Now these were guys, you know, who they rape men, you know? I mean, they rape young guys, right? And so it's certain little games they play. And so I seen, you know, my friend associating with these kind of guys right here. So of course, you know, being you know, you know, it's my people. I want to warn him because he new to this atmosphere, and I done been there, and and, and the old heads in school me. I mean, I he, you know, like you, a lot put some killers around me, some straight soldiers, and they were schooling me, right? The older brother, they were schooling me as well as giving me all these books to read, right? So I want to let him know. And did you know this brother? Everything I was telling him, he went back and he was telling these brothers that I told him. That they trying to set them up right now. These cats some killers too. These ain't no lames. Now they've been some these guys got life without parole. They into that freaky stuff, but they ain't no lame. They 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 get them shanks and deal with you, right? So I'm in a child hall one day, and these two brothers walk up to me in the child hall. I I, I was little Ronnie X, and um you know for those who are in prison know you know that I mean they know a lot blessed us to be somewhat influential in them camps. But these two older brothers they didn't know me because I had just came to this prison that they were in, right? And uh, at the time, I was the assistant, you know, to the head man in the in, in the Muslim community. And these two brothers came to me in the child hall, though, and they said, "Hey, brother, quote, you better keep your ass out of my motherfucking business, nigga, nigga." To you? Yeah, to me, right? So you know, we're in the child hall. You know, in the child hall, everybody sitting they little they little section. Muslims sit here, the white supremacists sit there, the Crips sit over there, the Bloods, the GDs. Everybody pretty much got their own section in the child hall, right? So. Um, the brothers had just got up and left to, to went to, to get some more food, and I watched everybody food because I had just came into the child hall, and these guys came up on me. Well, one of the brothers with the more science temple, when he seen that, he stood up, he said, "Hey, little brother X, everything cool over there, bro?" You know, and uh, he was the grand sheik of the more science temple, and he and I were real good friends. Them know? too, them too. Don't play with them either. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, no doubt. So you know, a valuable lesson I learned: the brother who was the head of the Muslims now. This was the most hell of a prayer that I ever been a part of. And I want y'all to understand this. When they came at me like that, the brothers who trained me in their mind, damn it, we finna go to war because they disrespected around LX, right? Man, we went to say a prayer. We got our prayer words out. We making salat. And the prayer is, oh Allah, bless us with victory to kill our enemies, right? We finna destroy. I mean, everybody got shanks out. They putting the vests on and everything. Now, at, at the time, I'm 19, 20 years old at the time, right? I'm 19, 20. I'm looking around and true to the game. I got my album in prayer like, damn, this is deep. Now, we can't do a lot. We better go, they go to war, right? So we go, and, and, and these brothers, they see the overwhelming force. So this is how I know men deal with things a certain way, right? 
so these brothers can see. Cause they didn't know who I eat. They ain't know I was little Ronnie O. X. This guy was a young dude in their business, right? So they want to meet with the head Muslim, the head of the Moorsan Temple, the head of the Black Gorilla family. All these brothers were like the OG to school me. You know, these brothers was really schooling me, right? So you know, we all went and, and met and sat. And but some of the brothers told me this. They say, brother, they told me what is called the prison culture. You know, they say, man, the the, the convict code of ethic is what they call it. They say, bro, let me tell you something. The old head tell me this. He say, man, and, 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 and needed to say, this friend of mine, he wound up getting turned out anyway, right? He went on to him. They wind up tapping him and, you know, raping him and, you know, doing what they do to him. He wound up being a little, you know, we call him Maytag. He watching draws and doing all kind of stuff because he was just a weak person, but he was my partner. I didn't want to see him go out like that, right? But um, the older brothers told me this. They say, brother, when you're in this environment right here, you're going to have to damn it have some strength within yourself. You know, you got to be from the inside. And you can have the brothers with you and stuff like that. But your strength got to come from the inside. And they and, and they say, that dude, that is a lame, brother. They say, he a lame. He ain't got no strength. He's a coward. And they say, if you try to put yourself on the line for this brother to save him, and he don't want to save himself, you're putting yourself in a dangerous situation. So they was telling me, like, don't put yourself on, don't put your life on the line for people or for a person who don't put their own self on the line, right? Who won't even defend themselves, right? Because when they came at him, he conceded. He didn't put up no fight, didn't do none of that. He started doing a heat straight, became a homosexual, like pure homosexual, right? But it was a hell of a lesson for me because I'm thinking, you know, when I look back on it, this so-called convict code of ethic, it's, it's twisted as hell, but it is don't protect nobody who's weak. If they're not willing to protect themselves. Now, on the one end, I understand it because the body, you know, it say God help those who help themselves. If you ain't helping yourself, damn it, don't expect God to help you, right? But on the other end, that was a friend of mine. I knew what they were doing to him. I seen it. I wanted to help him, but that happened. But I seen something like that, and that was a hell of an experience that I um had in, in penitentiary. So let's talk about this book now. Because you just came out with a book that I think is very, very powerful. It's a children's book. I haven't read the book yet, but 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 I've seen it, and, and I will be ordering your book. And it's called "Don't Touch My Spot." Right? Do not touch my spots. Before Do I touch, touch on that book, I got. If you don't mind, yes, sir. Come on, let's go with it. I need to close out the prison segment because it was it was Islam, man, that 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 guided me. And when I went from prison to prison, one prison, I went. Because my whole mission was to get right, get my mind right. Um, the combination of my experience from the Nation of Islam plus prison and what I went through in prison to get my healing is, is, is the solution. Nation of Islam plus prison plus what I went through to get healed. Let's talk about what I went through. One of the prisons, it got out what I was in there for. I was in Grand. It got out, and the guards was letting people know. And um, sometimes the guards, when I would walk by, the guards would make a sound of a baby crying. You know? And then uh, one brother said, you know, you know what they saying? I said, I know what they're saying. He said, he's saying, that's you. I said, that ain't me. That happened to me. 
but that ain't me. They was confused because my reputation was clean cut, Muslim, stayed to itself, not in the game, very talented and likable. So when the guard said that, it was like, no, 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 not Hakeem. No, 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 no. So it got out. And so I took that as Allah telling me, remember what you're here for and remember who your protector is. So I did stuff like I had to lie to get into Alcoholics Anonymous. I never was drunk, but I used the teachings of Alcoholics Anonymous because I learned that an addiction is an addiction. Mm. They had marijuana anonymous in this prison for those addicted to weed, those addicted to drinking. I got into everything that I can get into to get right. I never was high. I never been high. I never, I never been drunk. But I got into those programs to get into the psychological mindset of fighting off an addiction. I remember having a conversation um, from Graham that white boys, it was cool with me. Hey man, they saying you a child molester. I said, I ain't no child molester. Now, I don't know what year this is, but it's in the middle of my sentence now. Now, I'm already ready to die. And and, and somebody want to bring it, they can, they can go. Or, or I'm going to go. So I went to uh, the Muslims there and learned how to do Salat. And I kept bringing up Farrakhan. So they was kind of like, he, he, he don't know who he want to be with. So I said, man, it's time for me to leave this prison, man. It's time. The rumor getting out, the Muslims, is, the, the Orthodox Muslims in that particular prison was kind of hard on me. So I said, you know, I'm ready to go, man. My sentence was winding down, and they sent me to Vienna, Vienna Correctional Center, where I met Larry Hoover. Some people talk about Larry Hoover and rap about him, and but I can actually say I knew the brother. And, and for, those who don't know, like for, for those who don't know, who is Larry Hoover? I mean, I know, but some, some people in the audience may not know who Larry Hoover is. Larry Hoover is the founder of the Gangster Disciples, the GDs, six, all is one. And Larry Hoover said when he started the Gangster Disciples, he didn't intend it for it to be a notorious gang. He was trying to help his people. Larry Hoover went to Muslim service and prayed right next to me with his head wrapped. Knew the whole prayer, knows the whole prayer in Arabic. Real peaceful, real, he real funny too. Now I got a real crazy sense of humor, real funny laugh, but a good brother. In fact, he was gonna finance my rap career when I was getting out. And the Sunni Muslims say, what you doing walking with him, man? Is you a gangster disciple? I said, he a Muslim. He said, he a gangster. We Muslims. I said, he a Muslim. And they said, listen, 
stop hanging around him. That was a point against them. So I wrote the minister a letter, man, in prison. And I told him it was him that woke me up. And the Orthodox, man, they, 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 at that particular prison, was not conscious like that. They weren't that kind of black consciousness. They weren't that unifying people. And I wrote the minister a letter and said, I don't understand why, what this Sunni stuff is, and, and, but I'm not. And why they don't like you. And I don't understand. Man, he wrote me back. And the highlight of that is, when you get out of prison, we'll be waiting for you. I got out November 93, Brother Ghazi. I did two years and nine months on the six-year sentence. I did two years and nine months. I got out, and I'm the Sunni Muslim. When the two-piece garbs, the <laughs> Kufis, and all the brothers who I woke up to the Nation of Islam was like, dude, you brought us to the nation. You a Sunni now? I'm like, man, something ain't right, man. It's one Umar, brother. We all together, man. He's like, okay, but what about the nation of Islam? I rock with the nation. They who woke me up, but this is the real true Islam. True Islam. I had the accent and everything, true Islam. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I was, I was that brother. Right. I was leading the kubas. And when I, I was, I, I, before I got out, I was the imam in one of the prisons in Taylorville Correctional Center. It was a new prison. <laughs> and they made me the imam. Then when I got out, I was leading the kukbah with all Arabs and whites, a couple blacks, but they was from Africa. When I got out, a brother made me a proposition. He said, listen, man, I'll come hear you speak at the kukbah if you come to Savior's Day. It was Jesus saves. <laughs> and he, they came and heard me speak. They was amazed. But I gotta live up to my end of the bark. And I went to Savior's Day, man. And the minister taught on Master Father Muhammad, which was my only hangup that I didn't understand. That was my only hangup, brother guys. I didn't know how to defend Master Father Muhammad at the time. Mm -hmm. Y'all say he God. And then I heard the minister say, I know he was born February 26, 1877. And then he talked about the evolution of God and how God can appear and who he uh, want to appear in. And I said, what? Appear? God can work through who he want to work through. I said, that's all it was? Just semantics? Man, I listened to that lecture and I sat back. And all what was going through my mind is how I'm going to tell the imams that I'm done with Sunni Islam because I'm back to the nation. I started processing, man, in 94. I got registered. No more crimes. No more none of that. That was only a one-time incident with my nephew. I'm not into like children like that. I don't got a, a track record of children like on my rest record. But I will say it's been a painful experience, but a glorious one at the same time because I thank my stepmother for turning me in and not doing me like so many of the cases in my own family. I thank my, 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 my auntie, my mother passed uh, May 12, 1995. And right before she passed, man, we reconciled. And she said, I thank Minister Farrakhan for the man you have become. 
Crazy. She had breast cancer and pneumonia, and she went into a coma, bro. And I was with a rap group called Etch Niggas at the time. And we was on our way to New York at the Jacob Javits Center, and I got the word. And I wrote a song called Pressure, and y'all can look that up right now on YouTube, called Pressure by X Niggas. X Niggas with a Z instead of an S. And as soon as I got out of my trip, I flew back to my mom, and she was in a coma. And I got to my mother's ear, and I said, Mom, say, I bear witness that there's no God but Allah, and I bear witness that Muhammad is just serving a messenger. My mom in the coma. I said, Mom, you've been calling on Jesus all your life. Say, Allahu Akbar. And she snapped out of her coma, brother. I said, Mom, you're going to be all right. And then her regular self, boy, I know, and went on back. And my aunts and uncles, they said, what did you say to her? What did you do? I said, I just told her that there's no God but Allah. Muhammad is just serving a messenger. And it was pure silence. It was a, a drop the mic moment. And I walked out of the hospital. And now I got to conclude by saying that just recently I joined Digital Real Estate and the ABS Tribe. And I've always known what my purpose was, Brother Ghazi, but I didn't know the time to tell the story. So I want to thank you, Brother Gazi, for your powerful, powerful talk show, bro. <laughs> back, what's it called? Back on the straight path? What is, what is it called? Back on track. Yes, sir. Back on track, man. Yes, sir. I want to thank you for even, I want to interview you one day. Hmm. Like, I don't know if you got a show where you talk about why you even came up with this and you probably can go into it, but I want to thank you for this testimony because your testimony. I want to thank you for this platform because I know I'm born what I'm born for, but I've been waiting for the right time to tell the story. My people, my wife, my daughter, like, listen, man, I, my daughter told me like five years ago, dad, I ain't ready yet. I don't want my friends talking about you. you your dad is this and your dad is that. I've been waiting to tell this story for a long time, bro. But not until getting into the ABS tribe and digital real estate did I get the courage to walk into my purpose. A lot of us have heard of the brother Hashim that can rap, the brother Hashim that is phenomenal with the Final Call newspaper. But this brother right here, I'm born to help heal those who are in the closet because they're ashamed of what somebody might think. I ain't never been raped. I ain't never been molested. I ain't never went through that. Allah protected me. Because when the minister said, when you get out, we waiting for you, I came. Some of us held our, our little secrets and some of us got closets, Brother Ghazi. Mm -hmm. Some of us lived double lives, Brother Ghazi. Some of us got that little dude in the back of their mind and they live these two people, man. But every time, man, they start having a feel good moment and start becoming who they think they could be, they go back into that little dude they used to be or that dude that they hide. I say, fear no God but Allah. I say, submit your will to do the will of God and he will do what he said he gonna do. And that's make all things new. <laughs> yes, sir. God made me new. Hmm. And the more you hold on to it, the more dangerous you can become. The more you hide your sins, the more dangerous you can become. Because the minister said, 
it's like a submarine, man. And the deeper you go, the more pressure you put on it, it's going to come out in some inordinate way. You may lean towards the other side, man. You may, you may, you may start liking men. You may start liking women. You, 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 you may, you may stay in that dark closet where you sneak in and you, you gotta, you gotta prey on children. I say, fear no God but Allah, and let Allah protect you. Because if Allah is with you, who can be against you? Hmm. So, brother Gazi, man, thank you for this opportunity. And so, what I did, my life, y'all, yeah, I still rap. Yeah, I still propagate the faith with the Final Call newspaper because I'm dedicated to the resurrection of the black man and woman in America and the world. But now, if somebody would have came to me, Brother Gazi, if my mama would have told me what my little man was for, I could have prevented a lot of things from happening, man. If, 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 a, if an older brother would have taught me respectfully what my little man was for, I could have prevented a lot of things, man. But my mother didn't teach me what sex was about. Nobody taught me that, man. I I, I found out through experimentation, bro. Hmm. So now I wrote a book called Do Not Touch My Spots. A third grade reading level all the way up. Do Not Touch My Spots. And I use ladybugs as the characters because ladybugs got spots. So I indirectly, subtly teach on the topic of the sanctity of the human anatomy. I might say, you are my uncle. I love you a lot, but do not touch my spots. I teach on that hmm. without going directly into that because there was a case that I got to say this. This happened to me, man. I married a sister one time and her mother found out. Um, my, her mother found out what I went to prison for. She was already upset that I joined the nation, that her daughter was being influenced by the nation of Islam. They was already upset that she became, no, she stopped eating pork. She was saying, assalamu alaikum. My wife at the time said, don't, don't tell my mom what you went to prison for. They ain't ready for that. But her mom made me feel so comfortable that I thought I can go tell her because I ain't like hiding. 2007. And when I told her what I went to prison for, bro, me and my wife had a bad argument on some other stuff. I told her mother about it. And her mother felt that was the time to rescue her daughter from this Muslim. Some kind of hold, some kind of way, man, they got a hold of my stepdaughter, man, which is my wife's daughter. And it was a young girl in her family that had been molested. And the young girl in her recovery was taught what a good touch was and a bad touch was. So this young girl took it upon herself to teach my two-year-old daughter what a good touch is and a bad touch is. I don't think that's the age you start teaching a child because the child is on auto repeat at that age. They'll repeat anything they hear, especially in a teaching mode. So my daughter went to say, she started saying, daddy touched me here, good touch. Daddy touched me here, bad touch. Just jovial, innocent, just playful. Daddy touched me everywhere she go. Long story short, 
I went to jail. Not because I did a crime, but because that was in my background. And I had a public defender. Me and my wife at that time could not afford a lawyer. So I sat in the county for seven months, bro. Ramadan came. And I got to say this, because before I married this sister, the man of God said, brother, your wife is the MGT. She wasn't. But because I was already, she was already my girl, I met her in college. I married her before she became an MGT. So I disobeyed. I'm in prison during Ramadan. I'm not prison. I'm in jail. It's 2007. And Surah 94, brother, we on that reading that that, that day during Ramadan. In the name of Allah, the Beneficent, the Merciful. In the name of Allah, the Beneficent, the Merciful. Have we not expanded thee thy breast? and remove from thee thy burden, which weighed down thy back and made honorable thy mention. Verily, after every difficulty comes ease. Surely, after every difficulty comes ease, brother, tears start running down my eyes. Mm. So when you are free from your immediate task, still labor hard and make Allah your exclusive object. And then I heard the voice of Allah say, listen, your sentence is over with. You're in here because of your disobedience. Your wife is an MGT. I got my divorce papers in the mail. I was hurt. The very next, the very next day, my lawyer came and said, the judge threw your whole case out. Your case has been dismissed. We went to court and that white lady who was the judge said to my wife at the time, it is unethical what you have done to this man. They threw the case out and I've been trying to find, and I finally found her. She's supposed to be here right now, but I finally found the NGT man that I need right now. <laughs> and she know all about this, man. She know about my story. She know about my history. And I had to break this to her before we got married. And uh, I thank Allah for Master Father Muhammad who taught the most honorable Elijah Muhammad, who brought us the honorable minister Louis Farrakhan to teach us what true redemption is, what true forgiveness is. So you asked me, Brother guys, and I don't know if I'm going too far, but you asked me, did I, was I able to speak with my nephew and get his forgiveness? And I called my stepmom with my dad on the phone and my stepmother said, listen, he got counseling. We don't want to re-stimulate him. He probably don't even know what happened to him. And I was saying to myself, what if that happened to me? What if I would have got counseling after that happened? Hmm. So, again, I wrote this book because I'm born to help those labeled beyond hope. I don't care if you gay, I don't care if you lesbian, I don't care if you're a murderer, I don't care if you got 20 bodies on you. I'm born to bring you to the Lamb of God, the most honorable Elijah Muhammad. 
I'm I'm born to deal with those touchy subjects people scared of. Right. So I put this book together called Do Not Touch My Spots to Help Parents because my mama didn't know how to talk to me. She didn't know how to bring it to me. So I want to say to you, if you're watching, you can go to Amazon and get my book called Do Not Touch My Spots, but you can get it directly from me and wholesale. The book is $14.99, um, or you can get it directly from me at a, at a, at a wholesale price. And is it okay to get my number? How to how to get my information? How to get them? Yes, if you um, when you give it to me, I'll put it in the um in the um, in the post. I, okay. I'll put all the information in the post. Okay. Um, okay. After it's over, I, I'll put all the information in the post. Okay. So take over, sir. I'm sorry, man. I just had to get that. Man, no, sir, bro. That was absolutely beautiful, brother. And and you know you, you know when I was listening to you talk, brother, I was thinking about. A lecture I heard from the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, a lecture series called How to Give Birth to a God. And in their lecture series, the minister really going detail about the condition, especially of the father and the mother, mind and spirit and heart, but especially the mother. And he said that the mother's mind is like a printing press and the baby's mind is like a blank sheet of paper. Mm-hmm. And whatever the mother think and feel and the energy that's around her, it began to shape and form the child's mind before the child come into existence. So that's why our mothers is our first teacher, because the mother began to teach us before we even born, right? So mm-hmm. it's important when you say generational. Listen, y'all, we got generational things in our family that we don't talk about, that we don't damn it deal with. And it's still in the mind. And them thoughts, it affects the chemistry of the sperm cell and the chemistry of the egg. On, if you have on, that now. thought, when you got that pain in you, when you give birth to a child, believe you me, you passing on something to that child. Now, can it be dealt with? Absolutely. Can it be neutralized? Absolutely. But you already shaping and molding the child with the propensity to do certain things and to be a certain way because of the thoughts that we have in our mind. And that's why we got to clean our damn thoughts up. As parents, we got to watch and we got to guard. You know, when a woman is pregnant, man, we talk, I mean, you got to watch what she listen to, the kind of people she around, the kind of thing, because she's shaping and molding. You know, I just had a child recently on December the 10th. You know, that's number, you know, I, you know that's a lot of babies for me, right? But I just had, a, you know, the Gandhi Jr. on December the 10th, and I guarded my wife. I, I'm very careful about who you go around and who you, because I know you cooking right now, him, some in the oven, and I don't want that, that all these thoughts that they're going Come to on, the man. right there, right? So listen, y'all, true forgiveness, as I listen to you, big brother Hashem, I'm thinking about forgiveness because in the Holy Quran, it says that Allah is often returning to mercy and he's the most forgiven of those who forgive. Often forgiven, right? The, The most merciful. And sometimes we would say, well, that's God. But damn it, I ain't finna forgive nobody here. You do me, I ain't forgiving nothing. It's the difference that forgiveness should be followed or or, or preceded by repentance. So if you repent for doing something wrong and you repentance is you confess it, you you know, you 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 know, you acknowledge it, but then you stop. Damn it, if you if you still going, you ain't repenting yet. If you still doing the same thing, yo, you ain't repenting. But when you stop that. It may have affected and ill-affected many people, but do we have true forgiveness? That like you're talking about true Christian love? I mean, can we really, really, really have that kind of love in our heart to forgive? Listen to what my brother's saying about, you know, hurt people, hurt people, hurt people. And we do it all the damn time in various areas of our life, in our relationship. 
Damn it, we wounded, we traumatized, and we refuse to deal with these real issues because too many of us is wearing masks. And let me tell you what happened when you got these masks on your face. When you wear a mask, you listen, 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 y'all. If I had a mask on of a gorilla, of a lion, that that's the image that I have. You think I'm a lion? Damn it, I'm roaring, right? And 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 I come to you and I say, man, I'm hungry. Well, hey, you're gonna look at me and say, well, hey, that's a lion. So let me throw him a gazelle. Let me throw him a piece of deer, a piece of buffalo, right? Because that's the mass I have, right? And then I come back to you five minutes later and say, I'm hungry again. You're like, damn, man, I just gave you a whole damn deer. You still hungry? I gave you a gazelle, a buffalo. How the hell are you still hungry? But check this out, though. The reason why I'm still hungry, because you coming to me, a thing you giving me what I need based on my mask. My mask is a lion, but up under that mask, damn it, I'm a gorilla. I don't even eat meat. I'm a vegetarian. I want some bananas, some plants, goddamn. So this is what do when we approach each other in relationship. We were in a mask. So you wonder why you never get the help that you're supposed to get because people are appealing to the damn mask. Take the damn mask off and be 100 with yourself and do what the Ambalaj Muhammad said. Accept your own Yo, and, and be yourself. Yourself. Be yourself. Be. You always got to improve it now. You ain't perfect, you know, but, but you got to be true to yourself. First and foremost, and that's what back that's what back on track come from. Keeping it one damn hundred, brother. Like not being afraid to touch them touchy subjects, even with my own life. People know my story and my relationship with my mother and it. I mean, I, we keep that we one hundred. Like th that's it. But the idea of it is not to condemn and criticize nothing like that, but to offer a kind a, a, a time of healing from this trauma, from this pain that every last one of us. At some point of our life, we deal with and we go through. So, that's brother, what that really song is about. That's what again. that song is about by uh, Smokey Robinson, "The Tears of a Clown." It's the clown got that mask on. It's always a smile on the clown, but behind that mask, we dealing with trauma. Right. We dealing with yeah. child molestation. Yes, sir. We, we dealing with all of that. We dealing with we dealing with physical abuse. What's that? We dealing with what's that? We dealing with physical abuse. What's that phone ring? Y'all, that's that's on your end. Oh yes, sir. Oh yes, my mom. I'm like, man, what's going on in my house? But listen, we dealing with all. We dealing with we dealing with verbal abuse from our parents. We dealing with verbal abuse from our siblings. Verbal abuse, trauma that happened in our childhood. Childhood. So now we walk around being fake Muslims with the bow tie on, with the headpiece on. We dealing with. We're dealing with the Asalaamu Alaikum, but that person got the tears of a clown. We're dealing with the Asalaamu Alaikum crack fruit, but that person is dealing with the tears of a clown. So we got to take off the mask, Brother Ghazi. Yes, sir. We got we to gotta, we gotta repent. And, when, and, my, and I, I want to be careful, too. How we repent is real crucial, man. I'm not saying get on social media and do what I did. Mm -hmm. Tell the whole world what I went to prison for. Nah, nah. I'm born. I, I, you don't know my mission. I'm born to help people heal. I'm born to tell my story so people can learn from the lessons. Y'all ain't seen nothing yet. I ain't into no child molestation. I ain't into. I love children, man. So even though they hard on the crime, I respect these crimes. I respect the laws. I mean, that's hard on this type of crime. I respect. I respect people who. Who, who don't understand the healing process. So they look at you hard. They look at you side-eyed. They look at you like, I understand it all. 
but I want to deal with the healing aspect. I want to know what happened in between that person that was hurt into the person they became. What happened in between that time? He went from an innocent boy to a child molesting boy. Or he went from a, a she went from an innocent, promising, energetic, bright little girl. Now she into lesbianism. Something that happened. If our brains was created to think right, something that happened. And and we gotta do this problem like back on track. We gotta we gotta face our difficulty. We gotta meet and overcome all obstacles in our path. Problems is the minister said the problem, that's what life is, a bunch of problems but also is solutions. And you got to nurse on the universe, nurse on the God, nurse on the Quran to get the solution. It's like it's like algebra, Brother Ghazi. They give you the answer, but you got to go into the problem to see how they arrived at this answer. Mm-hmm. People don't want to go into the problem. People want to run. People want to hide. They want to sweep it under the rug. It's too difficult. Now it's trigonometry trigonometry now is calculus now oh i don't want oh no it's too many words to read in that book oh no 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 we're gonna deal and we're gonna take our time and we're gonna as michael jackson say weave in and weave out until we can get to the root of this solution and if we get to the core of things that's why i thank the honorable minister lewis farrakhan for introducing us to the tool of dianetics absolutely it's the tool of it not for getting us into Scientology, but just the tool of Dianetics. That's why I thank the Honorable Minister Lewis Farrakhan for saying, listen, listen, our people are beautiful people. If we can heal the trauma, you that is watching, you haven't reached your potential if you're holding on to trauma. You that's watching back on track with Brother Gaza. You, if you great right now, if you're doing big things right now, imagine how great you can be if you heal the trauma and healing starts with repentance healing starts with healing healing starts with repentance you got to confess it you got to break down man you got to get into a state of penitence you know what penitence is penitence means you sorry for being sorry when you sorry for being sorry man after i did that to my nephew i walked out like what the what the hell are you doing you got to get angry with sin, man. You got to get angry with your mistakes. You got to get angry for your mediocrity. You got to get angry with dissatisfaction. And then when you repent, Allah comes to your rescue and does what he said he was going to do. He said, I come to make all things new. Mm-hmm. You can't heal the trauma suppressing us. You can't heal the trauma hiding. You can't heal the trauma wearing a mask. You can't heal the trauma being a fake person all your life because it's going to come out in some inordinate way down the line and you're going to hurt somebody that you really love. Hurt people do hurt people if they don't get healed. Man, I'm back on track, man. And I'm going to stay on this course, man. I'm back on track. And brother, guys, whatever I can do to help you, bring me back. There's much more to the story, man. I want to thank you for your your time. I want to thank y'all listening audience who have, who have, who have bit their tongue and not berated me in the comments. I want to thank you who are just that prayer right there. That Sister Sona said, I have been greatly unjust to myself. 
Mm. And I confess my faults. Yes, sir. So Allah, we're talking to God. We not not to, to to you. I'm talking to God. So grant me protection against all my faults. For none grants protection against faults but you. Now, did you hear that? Right. None grants us protection against our faults but God. Not me. Not 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 you. Not my wife. So why not submit to the Most High who grants us protection against all of our faults? So that's real key. Oh Allah, I seek thy protection against anxiety and grief. That's another one. I seek thy protection against lack of strength and laziness. I seek thy protection against cowardice. Cowardice is when you run from your problems. I seek thy protection against cowardice. I seek thy protection from being overpowered by debt and the oppression of men. You can be oppressing yourself by holding it in, acting like it don't exist, not dealing with it not studying it, not going into the problem. So no, I pray to Allah all the time. I probably pray more than five times a day. Because that one, that what the sister said, I have been greatly unjust to myself and I confess my, confess my fault. So grant me protection against all of my faults, for none grants protection against faults but thee. And guide me into the best of morals. How many of us are doing the best of morals? How many of us is on our A game when it comes to our morals? And uh, who you talking to? Are you talking to yourself? No, you better talk to the God within. Guide me into the best of morals. For none guides into the best of morals but thee. So if Allah is the only one that can protect us from our faults, if Allah is the only one that can guide us into the best of morals, now we got to go into the Holy Quran and we'll say, if it were not for our prayers, Allah wouldn't even hear us. You got to pray, family. Whether you're meditating or you're praying, you got to talk to the God within. Because that's the only one that's going to guide you into the best of morals. That's going to help you with your faults. You got to deal with these things, man. You got to talk to yourself. You got to talk to yourself. Now, I ain't talking about walking around talking about it's a sunny day. No, fix that. Stop that, Hashim. Correct that thinking, Hashim. Stop it, Hashim. Don't go there, Hashim. You married, Hashim. You got to talk to yourself, man. You got to be your own hype man sometimes, Brother Gaza. Yes, you got to be in your own court to pat yourself on the back sometimes. And this is a constant struggle. Addiction is an addiction. And if you don't control, now nah, let's talk about the healing, Brother Gaza. We got to talk about fasting. Because if you can say no to food, you can say no to anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> fasting, fasting is what helped me heal. I'm going to tell you, you got to take yourself out of an environment that got you to where you are. You can't go back to the same mistakes, the same environment that got you into what got you into. I can't just go and watch porn, man, all day and just think it ain't going to affect me. I can't do that. So now, coming out of the environment that I was in, going into the nation of Islam, seeing brothers and sisters constantly training and conditioning themselves to meet and overcome all obstacles in their path. Seeing brothers work on discipline, seeing sisters work on discipline, seeing sisters guard their chastity, seeing sisters not lust, and seeing brothers not lust. That environment is a part of what helped me heal. That's why you got to go to the mosque. That's why you got to log in to your to, to your to your uh the Sunday meetings. That's why you got to go to MGT class and FOI class. That's why you got to study. You can't be no sick person from a sick world and stay in the world. You're gonna be in this world. Or you're going to be of this world. No, you're either going to be in the world, but not of this world. So if you're not 
of this world, then what world are you really a part of? If you're not studying God, you're not praying to God, you're not talking to God, oh, you in this world and you of this world. But if mm -hmm. you're praying and you're studying and you're trying to get right and you constantly, not just sometimes, you're constantly training and conditioning yourself to meet and overcome all obstacles in your path, not until then. You got to understand that prayer. God is the only one that can guide us into the best of morals. You just got to submit. You just got to keep talking to the God within. So listen, man, boy, don't get me fired up, but I'm ready. Though. <laughs> the nation of Islam didn't judge me. That's why I got to thank the nation of Islam. I got to thank the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. Man, they could have, the, the nation of Islam could have did me like this society do. The society treats you like an outcast. The judicial system don't worry about healing. The judicial system is not about reformation. The nation of Islam is really about reformation. The nation of, nation of Islam is really about healing. You're not going to come into the nation of Islam and be the same person you was. You're not. If you submit to this process, you're going to get to be made into a new person. But if you're in the nation of Islam, I'm talking to the brothers and sisters that's in the nation of Islam, and you got on that mask, and you faking, and you hiding in the ranks, and you ain't got no intentions of being right, what's done in the dark going to come to the light. And if a lot expose you, it's horrific. So you might as well come on and get right, right now. Right. Thank you, brother guys. Man, I appreciate you, brother. I, I mean, deeply, deeply appreciate you and you know for your transparency and telling your story. And I would extend, you know, whether you're in the mosque, whether you're in the church, whether you're in the synagogue, come on, now. Simple, come on now. If you're in any religious organization and you're wearing a mask, damn it, you ain't gonna get what you want to get. Because you wearing that mask, you gotta be true to yourself. Oh, I got a new song, boy. That mask. To own self, you gotta be true, right? And somebody asked me, um, why would you put a subject like this out on Christmas, right? And uh, for one, I don't, I, I don't do the holidays for one, but for two, I'm thinking like because this is the time of the year in this society where our children are home. This is the time of the year in this society where people are drinking, getting drunk. Damn it, with all our babies home, believe you me, during this process of this, of this conversation, it's going on right now. And some little girl was touched by somebody in their damn family right now during this conversation. Right now. So we got to guard on this. We got to be 100 with this. And we got to really be vigilant with protecting our babies, our girls, and our boys, and being 100 with them and teaching them responsibility. And don't be afraid to talk about sex, damn it, with your children, because that's real. Oh, you, you super religious folk don't want to talk about sex. No, you a little freaky deaky in the background. You know what I'm saying? But you don't want to talk about sex. No, you ain't got to talk about it in a grouchy way, in, in a grimy way, in a hood way. But talk about it in a responsible and respectful way so that our children won't be blindsided when they get that intense feeling. When that thing start feeling good and they start, and the hormones start coming up, our little girls and little boys won't be sidetracked by that and they'll know exactly what to do to deal with it, right? So man, I appreciate it, and thank you all for for tuning in. And um, listen, I want to have people, um, if you were, uh, um, um, will, to 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 support the Back on Track podcast. You know, that's the the the, the I think that's Cash App. Um, but now we're looking for sponsors. If you want your business shouted out on the podcast, um, you know, just contact me, and, and you, we definitely looking for sponsors, and we're looking for support because we want to expand this. You know, we bring some real raw, you know, conversations that a lot of us just don't want to deal with. We just don't want to talk about. But damn it, we ain't scared to talk about them here in a very balanced way. Not to judge, 
You know, when, 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 when Brother Hashim and I first talked about this in truth, man, I, I felt some kind of way like, shit, man, you know, I got children and I vowed to myself, you know, I got five daughters and I said to myself, damn it, boy, somebody touched my, I'm killing them. Right then and there, ain't no damn police. We ain't doing none of that. I'm going to, look, man, now my boy, look. And I wouldn't even think about my son at the time, but now I see we got to deal with the boys and the girls, right? But healing and forgiveness is the process that we all need. We all have fallen short of the glory of the God, all of us, regardless of what religion, what you profess out your mouth, damn it, we all have fallen short from that glory. So we all need to enter into the process of healing and reformation and resurrection. So I want to thank you all for tuning in and thank you, big brother. And um, check out his book. You can go on Amazon and um, order his book, Do Not Touch My Spots. Yeah, I want to order that. And share, share that with your children it's from third grade on up. You know, it's his book right there. Uh, you want to share that, get the book, and you want to share it with your family and, um, you know, with your friends. Share it with your children. Share it with your grandchildren. So thank you all for listening. We appreciate y'all. And share this message out. Share, 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 share. Share this message out. You know, we love y'all. We appreciate y'all. We hope that everybody have a remainder of blessed time during this period right here. If you celebrate the holidays, you know, be careful out here. Enjoy yourself and uh, keep your eyes on the God. And by all means, if you ain't get nothing else about this, take the damn mask off and be true to yourself. You all have a blessed one. Peace. Peace. Thank you so much for listening. We pray that you are inspired to get your personal and business life back on track and in alignment with your divine purpose. Please subscribe, share this podcast, and join us for future episodes. And remember, your authentic self is powerful beyond measure.